Welcome to the teaching ministry of Prophet Kevin Leal. Kevin has devoted his life to see the restoration of supernatural power in both the Word and the Spirit to this generation. Open your Bibles, open your hearts, as we join Kevin in one of his crusades from around the world. There is a difference between believers and disciples. Believers believe, but disciples have made a decision to forsake all. Everybody shout, forsake all. all. Pick up my cross cross. and follow Jesus. Those three elements make you the salt of the earth. Forsake all, pick up your cross and follow Jesus. And the Bible says that if you don't have those three things operating, you are not salt. Matter of fact, it says you're worth less than manure. So it says, at least I can use manure to fertilize something. But if you don't forsake all, pick up your cross and follow Jesus, you're not salty. And what happens is you bring yourself to the realm of deception. You bring yourself into the realm of deception. Tonight, I want to be speaking to you like disciples. In the morning services, I was speaking to people like they were believers because that's Sunday morning. You got to do that because you got a mixed crowd. The Bible indicates that there's special meetings for certain kind of believers. So if you start saying, man, this is too aggressive. Well, no, this is the disciple meeting. There's going to be an edge on this meeting to push you into a deeper thing in the things of God. I'm not looking for a perfect meeting. I'm looking for a perfecting meeting. Everybody say perfect is not possible. Look at your neighbor and say perfect is not possible. God designed you to live in a prophetic covenant community. Everybody say, God designed me me to live live in a prophetic covenant community. community. Now here's what that means. The word prophetic doesn't mean you're a prophet. The word prophetic means that I can hear what God is saying. I can see what God is showing me to see. And that's what it means. And so to meet all the needs of the people... Outside of just the Holy Spirit, God put you in a body. You were designed to be in a body. Now, you may not be a part of Rock City Church, but if you are not in some church body, you're a holy hobo. (laughs) You're a religious orphan. And there's something broken in you if you cannot be in relationship. The Bible says if you're walking in the light, you have fellowship one with another. And the word fellowship means I take something significant, something intimate, and I share it with you. And you take something intimate and share it with me. And that's how everybody was designed to live. That's why people like gossip, because it is the flip side of communion. Gossip is the flip side of communion. Something private, personal, and intimate, I share it with you. Help me understand the best gossip is private, personal, and intimate. It's a substitute for communion. And most people are communion hungry. They're starving for communion. They're starving for their life to be revealed so I can share my life. And so you were designed by God to be in a covenant prophetic community. In other words, I should be hearing for you. I should have a discerning about what you're going through. I should have discerning about how I can help you and support you. Everybody needs corporate love. Everybody say corporate love. Come on, shout corporate love. And so I need love from older people. I need love from younger people. I need a relationship with teenagers. I need a relationship with all kind of people. I need a relationship with widows. 
when there's some widows in this church and she shouldn't go hide, we need her relationship. She's got perspective. And every, I know that she needs our relationship or he needs our relationship. And so you were designed to be in a prophetic covenant community. The word covenant is opposite of consumerism. Most churches are consumer churches. They come to the church, they ingest a spiritual product, or they ingest a religious product. They say hi, bye, and they're gone. They're basically homeless. This church will only become what God wants it to become when you become a prophetic covenant community. Everybody say, a prophetic Prophetic. covenant Covenant. community. community. And your pastor is very, very open to that. And so if I have a consumer mentality just like a phone i'm always looking for the next upgrade and so that's exactly what this generation says you don't like your 40 year old wife trade her in for 220s and that was happening you don't like your present husband trade him in you don't like your present friends trade him in that is not god that's a consumer relationship And so many of the churches that are the largest churches in this region, they're consumer churches. Most of the people that keep attending that church are just consumers. They don't have close friends. They don't have intimate relationships. And the reason is it's a consumer item to try to meet a spiritual need. But I can tell you, even though Pastor Dave is an awesome preacher, even though he's got fire and everything, he's prophetic, he's not enough. You need the body to be normal. Say, I need need the body to be normal. normal. Come on, say, I need need covenant relationships to be normal. normal. And a covenant relationship means that I'm not going to leave you when you're in crisis. I'm not going to leave you when you do something crazy. I'm not going to leave you when you fail me. I'm going to redeem you. I have a redemptive mindset. And every single person wants that. You know, one of the most popular shows of the last 50 years was a show of Andy of Mayberry. And they keep running it and running it and running it. You know why? Even though it was a secular show, it had wholesome values. But when you watch it, you feel like you're in a community. You know how Barney's going to respond. You know how Andy, a sheriff without a gun. Come on, please help us. (laughs) Andy had no gun. He just talked folks down. Now, calm down, calm down. Can I tell you that we need a lot of Pastor Andy's of Mayberry in this church. Instead of killing people, we talk you down. That's covenant. Don't throw away this relationship. But here's the thing. The Bible says with the same measure you judge others comes back to you. And if you are living a consumer Christian lifestyle, you're going to be depressed. You're never going to find a home because you're doing to other people and you expect other people to do the same for you. That what I did and what I said and how I acted is irredeemable. Nobody's going to receive me because I did such an egregious act. No, no. This is going to be a covenant community. The other thing about a covenant relationship is, is always adjusting to the current needs of the person. That even though your needs change, I'm going to change with you. I'm not going to write you off. And every single person needs to be prophetic and covenant for this church to work. Now tonight we're going to be talking about meeting your needs. Everybody here got needs. Has anybody heard the term she's needy or he's needy? 
You know what that means? It means that they got unfulfilled needs in their growing up years. And so now that they're adults, they still have those unmet needs manifesting in all their relationships. How many heard the term daddy issues? That means your daddy treated you wrong and now you're going through life with these daddy issues and it makes you really hard to be around. Mama issues. And so most of the people in this room have issues. Look at your neighbor and say, I know you got some issues. Come on, say, I know you got some issues. And that's why we need a covenant community. Because those issues are going to manifest when we get close. And issues cause you to have blind spots. Now, most North American churches are a scripted, staged event. It's basically a show. Y'all know what I'm talking about, right? We have the worship team. We have the smoke. We have the fog. We dim the lights. Three fast, three slow. Preach, get the money, and away we go. It's a script. (laughs) That's how it is. And that is not what this is going to be in this room. It's not going to be a scripted stage event. Now, here's the problem. Those kind of churches are designed to create an audience, not designed to create an army. They're not designed to create an army. And whether you understand it or not, the context of the New Testament church is military. It is military because we have an adversary. We have an enemy. We have a letter to the church that talks about putting on armor. It talks about warfare. The actual word for apostle means military strategist. Satan was cast out of heaven on earth. And whether you want warfare with him or not, he's at war with you. Say, the devil's at war with me. Come on, say, the devil's at war with me. And so if you don't understand that and you think that the church is la-la land, I'm going to be an audience member, I get some consumer products, and my life is going to be better for it, that's not true. The devil wants to kill everything and everyone in your life. He wants to destroy your children. He wants to destroy your marriage. He wants to destroy your finances. Not because you necessarily do anything, but you were made in the image of God and he hates God. Everybody say, the devil hates God. That's why he hates me. Come on, say, the devil hates God, and that's why he hates me. And so we need to make a pastoral community where you can live and to grow and thrive. So we got these two dynamics. We got to have a military component, and we got to have a pastoral component. We got to have an apostolic company that goes out and takes new territory. And we got to have a pastoral community that takes the lambs and grows them to maturity. And when you understand those two dynamics of the church, there'll be no confusion. You're going to have about 20% of the people in the church are going to be very, very outdriven. They're going to be more apostolic. And that means, I mean, they're going to be sent out to do things. They're fired up about mission trips. They're fired up about taking territory. They're fired up about witnessing in the streets. But the other 80%, they're going to be very driven to take care of the sheep inside the church. Now, why the 20-80%? Because the 20 can create more work than just another 20 can handle. They can harvest 100, 200, 300 people. You can have an event because Pastor Davis is very event driven. He can gather 30, 40, 50 people. But now we got to have people take care of them, feed them, nurture them. And so when you don't get your needs met when you're a young person, you go through life needy. And there's a lot of needy people here. 
and you may not recognize you're needy because it has become a blind spot. Who's the last person to know you got bad breath? Who's the last person to know you got bad breath? You. Because if you had not known it, you would have took care of it. Let's do the bad breath test. Turn to your neighbor and say this word with me. Say, hallelujah. Come on, say, hallelujah. I think we found some winners here. We found some winners. One of the things about teaching truth, and the Bible says that if you will know the truth, it will set you free. The truth disconnects you from a lie, but it takes life to connect you to life. I want to say that again. That was a very profound statement. I can disconnect you from a lie by speaking truth, but I can only connect you to life with life. I can't connect you to life by speaking principles. And most churches are a lecture that people hear, they take notes, and they go home. It's good but incomplete. So you need to have life and come into the situation where you interact with people. People just don't want to come to a, a lecture, even though it's amazing. They want to interact with the people in this place. They want to have friends and new family members. Jesus said when he had his parents outside, his mother and his six brothers and sisters, they said, Jesus, your mother is out here. And then he says, who is my mother? Who is my brother? Who is my father? He said, they that hear the word of God and obey it. Now, if you do this church right, you will be closer to the people in this church than most of your natural family. And the reason is you got the same morals, the same values, the same dreams, the same destination. And you shouldn't feel bad about that. But the most compelling reason to want to join a church is community. The most compelling reason to want to join a group of people is community. People get into golf communities and they get into square dancing communities and horse communities. Yeah, they're there for that issue, but they're really there for community. And no matter how awesome the worship is, they come for the worship, but they stay for the community. That's your answer. They stay for the community. Say that with me. They stay for the community. They come for the miracle, but they... They come for the teaching, but they stay for the community. They come for the benefits, but they stay for the community. And the Spirit of God is here today saying, I want to create a prophetic community. Turn in your Bible to Luke chapter 4, verse 18. Because so many people have lived outside the design of God for so long, they're so very, very broken. And we expect you to be broken. And let me talk to all the workers in this church. You are in the pain business. You are in the pain business. When people come to a church like this, it's more transparent. People are more open about sharing their past pain experiences. You are in the pain business. How many have heard this term, hurt people, hurt people? Well, that's a lot was coming to this church. But God will give you amazing grace and benefits so that you can meet those needs. But you have to understand the human condition. I used to take it personally when people acted like ignorant fools when they came to church. I take it personal. I said, oh, well, well, not, I'm not good enough. I'm not knowing enough. And the Lord says, son, that's the human condition. And when you come out of darkness, you don't even know how messed up you are. Look at your neighbor and say, you don't know, you don't know. How, messed up you are. how messed up you 
Come on, look at your neighbor and say, you don't know how messed up you are. Luke chapter 4 verse 18 said this. This is Jesus' first recorded message. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor, send me to heal the brokenhearted, preach deliverance to the captives, recovering the sight of the blind, and set at liberty them that are bruised. Now, why is this so important? What joins all these people in this passage together, and what joins them is they're all in pain. They're all in pain. Now, here is why Jesus started with this. If I don't get people out of pain, no matter what I do for them, they're going to interpret it through the concept of pain. Let me give you one about captive. They're captives. Christianity is a covenantal-based relationship. So if Pastor David is preaching covenant, but you've never been delivered from a captive mind, you think he's trying to control you. And you're going to get mad at him because you're going to see that this guy's a dictator. He's trying to make me do stuff. No, you have never been delivered from captivity mentality because you had a dictator for a daddy. You had a woman that was Jezebel Jr. had a husband who beat you all the time. And you come to church with your pain issues. And so when anybody has anything even similar to what you grew up with, you recoil and go back. He's going to heal the poor. See, if you don't get that poor thing dealt with when they receive an offer, you go, oh, here they go again. All they was my money. Do you understand that if I don't get you out of pain, we can never have you in a covenant community. A bruise is a wound that's bleeding on the inside, not the outside. And there's a lot of bruised people here. Let me tell you something. How you respond when people challenge you reveals what's inside of you. What offends you reveals you. Turn to your neighbor and say, what offends you reveals you. Do you have the fruit of the spirit in response or do you go crazy on them? The work of the flesh. You're not the boss of me. You can't tell me what to do. But that's how a lot of Christians act. Or they just dis- do, do the disappearing act. They're passive aggressive. They just leave. What happened to them? They were committed. but they, whoosh, they just leave. They won't show up. We are in the pain business. Now let me tell you why we have so many addicts in North America and Europe. Whenever you're in pain, what do you want? Pleasure. I want to get out of pain. Do you know what the Garden of Eden meant? The word Eden meant good pleasure or delight. That's what it meant. And so that's where God originally wants us to be. Good pleasure and delight. So when I'm in pain, where do I instinctively want to return to? Eden. I want to go to the Garden of Eden. Hear me. If I don't get it resolved the right way in Christ, I'm going to get pleasure any way I can. So every single addict is self-medicating, trying to get out of pain. They're trying to get out of pain. And so what happens is they chase some kind of pleasure. And if it's not resolved in the kingdom of God, it's pain, pleasure, dysfunction, death, destruction. And for many Christians that have never got their pain issues resolved, it's pain, pleasure, condemnation, shame, rejection. They repent. I'm sorry, pastor. They go to a counseling session, but they never get their pain issue resolved. And it starts all over again. Pain, chase after pleasure, dysfunction, shame, condemnation. And some of you have been living that way for 20, 30 years. And the issues you never dealt with your pain issues. Somebody say, it's time to deal with your pain issue. 
And if you can't admit where the pain came from, you're never going to get healed. And a lot of you resist transparent relationships. You just resist transparent questions. Imagine you go to the doctor and the doctor says, I need you to disrobe. But you have this idea in your head, the doctor is a molester. Oh, I'm not going to dress for you. Can you ever get healed? Can you ever get healed? You're going to have to cross the boundary where you can be naked in this place and reveal your pain issues. Somebody say, be naked in this place and reveal your pain issues. Now, in the next several moments, God's going to reveal the heart of dysfunction. And he's going to reveal the heart of the healer. Psalm chapter 23, verse 1 down to verse 6. We're going to be reading the whole psalm. It's probably the most beloved scripture outside of John three sixteen Because it's a phenomenal prophetic word to the earth. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in the path of righteousness for his name's sake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup runs over. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Beautiful psalm, beautiful words, beautiful concepts. But this is one of the most self-centered prayers in the Bible. The word my is talked about six times. The word me is mentioned seven times. The word I is mentioned four times. My, 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 me, 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 I, I, I. Everybody go, my, my, my. My, my, my. Me, me, me. Me, me, me. I, I, I. Almost sounds Latin right there, don't it? <laughs> my, my, my. My, my, my. Me, me, me. Me, me, me. I, I, I. Now, why is this so important for this church? This church has a strong evangelistic outreach. You're reaching to the most broken people in this society. Most people that are broken may have it together where they don't show their brokenness quite as much as some of the people coming in here. But when they come in, they don't need Jesus the apostle when they first get here. They need Jesus the pastor. Because they got my, 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 me, 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 I, I, I issues that maybe their daddy, their family, their mother resolved. Never touch that thing. Never resolved it in your past. And so you're trying to enter into life with all these unresolved issues. And that's why Jesus the pastor has to be so strong in this church. And when I say Jesus, the pastor, I'm not talking about somebody on staff. I'm talking about you in these seats. That many of you are going to be bivocational ministers. But because you're going to be part of a prophetic community, God's going to give you a dream about somebody going through a crisis. God's going to give you a revelation about somebody going through a problem. God's going to talk to you about somebody to how you can meet their needs. And there's a lot of men in here, you're over 50 years old. You're not just over 50. God says, I want to make you a surrogate father to a fatherless generation. Some of you mothers, you think your life is halfway over. You got your grandkids in another state. But God says, I want to anoint you to be a surrogate mother. I want you to be a surrogate grandmother. I mean, their grandmother may be crazy, crackhead, something like that. And they've never seen a normal grandmother. They've never had words of validation. And that when they come to this meeting, when they come to this building, 
They love Pastor David's preaching, but they're waiting for that grandma hug. Somebody say, a prophetic grandma hug. Come on, a prophetic grandma hug. And the Spirit of God is falling right now because many of you in this place, you're so needy and so broken. You don't really need a lecture. You need interaction with the body of Christ. You need to understand that this is going to be a prophetic covenant community that we're not going to reject you when we see your issues. Everybody here got issues. Everybody here got issues. Pastor got issues. I got issues. We're humans. We're going through this whole thing. But anytime we see an issue, we're not just going to say, we have a tissue for your issue. We're going to give you some revelation to change you. You know how you can tell a prophetic church? They got boxes of tissue under every seat. That's how you know it's prophetic. Look at your neighbor and say, he has more than a tissue for your issue. Come on, there's more than a tissue for your issue. There's a prophetic word for you. My, my, my. Me, me, me. I, I, I. That's why Jesus has this scripture here. He is the good shepherd, but he wants to live in you. He wants to live in every single person who's part of this covenant community. And if this church is going to be 2,000 people, you're going to have to have a lot of pastoral people in this place. You can have a lot of pastoral people in this place. Come on, say, inside of me, inside me. is a full-grown Jesus. Jesus. Come on, say, inside of me, inside me. is a full-grown Jesus. Jesus. Come on, ladies, like a lion, and say, inside of me, inside me. is a full-grown Jesus. Jesus. Come on, lion, and just say, inside of me, inside me. is a full-grown Jesus. Come on, men, inside of me, inside of me. is a full-grown Jesus. Full Jesus. Inside of me, inside of me. is a full-grown Jesus. Full you can find that reference in Colossians chapter 1, verse 27, that Christ in you is the hope of glory. And that means you have access to all of what Christ is that you minister to people. Being prophetic is hearing from God on the behalf of others. Being prophetic is hearing from God on the behalf of others, and it should be normal. And you're not going to do it all right when you first start doing it. You're not going to do it all right. It's going to take some practice. But every single one of you is supposed to be a living, vital part of this pastoral community. Now go back to Psalm 23 one more time. Verse 1, the Lord my shepherd I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pasture. He leads me beside the still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me a path of righteousness for his namesake. Now verse 4. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. You are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Can I tell you that he didn't put verse 4 where verse 1 should go. You have to spend time with the shepherd to go through your valley of evil. You got to spend time with the shepherd because how can a stranger comfort you? Then he says, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. The rod is for correction. The staff is for direction. Everybody say the rod is for correction. The staff is for direction. The rod is for correction. The staff is for direction. You know why it comforted him? Because his memory was working through his valley of evil. I remember 
when he corrected me so I know he'll correct my enemies. The same rod that he corrects us with, he punishes the enemy. His staff gave me direction so I know that even though I'm going through something, it's not going to be permanent. His staff of direction gives me hope. And there's a lot of you going through all kinds of different valleys, family valleys, financial valleys, economic situations, job situations, maybe physical situations. And the way you go through your valley of the shadow of death, remember, it's just a shadow. It's just a shadow. Our story ends up good in the end. Hope means how my story ends. Everybody say hope. Means how my story ends. And you are not designed to write the ending. God writes the ending. You know, a lot of times you have tragedy and situations that we don't understand on this side of glory. We don't understand why the baby died. We don't understand why this thing happened. We don't understand why this went this way and went that way. Because we're living on the earth. But if we can see like the father sees it and when he reveals it to us. All of a sudden we go, that was the wisest thing you could have done for me, Lord. That was the most prophetic, wise thing you could have done. Everybody say, I, I, I. I, I, I. My, my, my. My, my, my. Me, me, me. Me, me. The shepherd is the one that deals with all these unmet needs, not the apostle. Oh, the apostle doesn't meet those needs. He's looking for an army. When you meet a guy that's got a broken leg and it's on the healing on the men... And he meets the pastor. The pastor will say, how's that leg doing? He says, oh, it's getting better. And the pastor will say, we'll just take all the time you need. We want you healthy. We want you healthy. You meet an apostolic guy. How's that leg doing? Well, it's still sore. Now, was your right leg, right? He says, yeah. Well, drag on over and kick the devil with your left leg. Come on. <laughs> They're looking for an army. They're looking for work and function. <laughs> And so we need that pastoral presence in the house of God. Everybody say the pastoral touch. The pastoral touch. There's some of you that are really anointed of God with the pastoral touch. You can say hard things with the pastoral touch. The other people, they want to kill you. You just have a way of saying it. And that's something that's a gift from God and we need it to happen. And so God's going to put the rod and the staff of the Father inside of you. You see, in God is pastor first, warrior second. Everybody say, pastor first, pastor first. Warrior, second. warrior second. David learned warfare by watching the sheep. He learned warfare by watching the sheep. Now tonight, God is saying, I want to turn some things inside of you. You know, there is something about preaching, to the foolishness of preaching, that turns your heart. I believe that tonight's message is about to cause the genesis of a new prophetic covenant community at Rock Church. I, I think something's going to begin to change in some of you key people. That I can do this thing. I can make this thing happen. I can make this thing happen. James chapter 1 verse 21 down to verse 25. We're talking about the Logos. We have a generation that lives on feelings more than facts. It's very subjective, not objective. In other words, it only makes a difference about how things are, how I feel about it. How I feel about it. Many people are calling it the postmodern mindset. Actually, this generation does not believe in absolute moral truth. If it feels good, do it. 
Let your glands be your guide. But the real issue is you're a design in a design in a design in a design. And tonight, God wants to move you from feelings to facts. He wants to lead you from how I feel to divine obedience. And so when we start talking about the logos of God or the written word of God, it is God's design for the earth. And the way that you respond to that design is going to affect you. James chapter 1 verse 21 down to verse 25. Therefore lay aside all filthiness and overflow of wickedness and receive with meekness or gentleness the implanted word which is able to save your soul. Notice, it's not going to save your spirit, it saves your soul. There is a difference between soul and spirit. We talked about that this morning. If you want to reference, it's Hebrews chapter 4 verse 12. That the word of the Logos separates your soul and your spirit. Your spirit's born again, but your soul can be changed. Then it says in verse 22, be doers of the word. That word, word there is the word Logos. Be doers of the Logos, not hearers only, deceiving your own selves. See, if I don't obey the Logos, if I don't obey the Logos I'm deceiving myself. I'm deceiving myself. If, I don't obey the word, if I don't obey the word, I'm deceiving myself. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man observing his natural face in a mirror. For he observes himself, goes away, immediately forgets what kind of man he was. But he that looks into the perfect law of liberty and continues in it is not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work. And this one will be blessed in what he does. Now here's the thing you understand. Many times that I read the word of God, I don't feel like doing that. There are many things I don't want to do. Or it's inconvenient. But I recognize that if I don't start doing what I know to do, I'm deceiving myself. I'm causing myself confusion. And that is the reason we have such inconsistent people in the church. They raise their hands. They make the pledge. They sign the card. I'm going to do this. And then they just disappear. And the problem is they're, with, they're living by feelings or an atmosphere. They're not living by the principle of the Logos. They're not living by the principle of the Logos. And the thing about it is their hearts are going to be deceived. They're going to be self-deceived. And then, listen to me, once you hear the word and you don't obey it, you start forgetting who you are. It's like you lose part of yourself. And you can always tell that they're always in hiding. They respond the wrong way in a relationship. It's because they did not obey the word. They did not obey the Logos. And when you press them about something, then they want to go and hide. You know, after Adam and Eve sinned, God did not do anything to infuriate them. But they did not obey the law. They did not obey what God said. And they began to see themselves as a mess. You see, when you sin, it affects how you see yourself. Say, when I sin, when I sin it affects how I see myself. Say, when I sin, it affects how I see myself. Turn your Bible to the book of John chapter 8. Tonight, God wants to deliver many, many people from self-deception. If you're not doing the Logos, you're deceived. Say, if I'm not doing the Logos, I'm already deceived. The devil has already got you to do the thing that you're not supposed to do. And you see, if I'm not following Jesus and I'm standing still, Jesus keeps on going. He keeps on going. John chapter 8 verse 32. And you shall know the truth and the truth shall make you free. 
or the truth will disconnect you from a lie. And the answer is said, we are Abraham's descendant. We have never been in bondage to anyone. How can you say we will be made free? And Jesus answered him and said, most assuredly I say to you, now listen, whoever commits sin becomes a slave of sin. And a slave does not abide in the house forever, but a son abides forever. Then it says in verse 36, therefore, if the son make you free, you're free indeed. Everybody say, if the son makes me free, free. I'm free indeed. indeed. Now, why is that such a difference between just hearing truth? The truth disconnects you from a lie. But when I let the nature of the son get a hold of me and direct my thinking and direct my actions, I really am free indeed. Now, here's why. When you sin, you have the soul of a slave. Say, when I sin, sin. I I get the soul of a slave. You get a slave reasoning. You get a slave will. You get slave emotions. You have a slave memory. And many of you, even though you're going to heaven, you're living your life in the earth like a slave. You need to get healed from the ramifications of living in sin. And that takes a supernatural experience. You know, one of the things about this ministry that is so strong, so strong, is that Pastor David, because of his past, what really liberated him was the revelation of the Father's love. Because when you do the kind of stuff he did, you have self-loathing. You loathe yourself. You see yourself as a slave, not worthy, not good enough. I'm not called. How can I build a church of 2,000 people? How can I get people to respect my voice of authority when I know my past? So he had to have a major visitation of the fatherhood of God. Am I right, Pastor? And that's why he presses every one of you here to have your own personal visitation of Daddy God. You heard Pastor Marlene say it. We're not here to worship the Creator. We're here to worship our Daddy God. Why? That is intimate. That is personal. And God has no grandchildren. Every single person must have their own particular day of visitation with Daddy God. Come on, raise your hand and say, I want to know Daddy God. Come on, say it like a seven-year-old child. I want to know Daddy God. Come on, there ought to be a smile on your face. Say, I want to know Daddy God. And there is something that changes radically in your life. When you begin to have the revelation of Daddy God, it changes the scriptures. It changes everything because now it is personal. I remember the first time the father spoke to me. Oh my God, I was already in the ministry. And he had spoken to me many, many other times. But I never had my initial Daddy God visitation. And I had been in this horrible little church in Georgia preaching. Dude, it's a crazy story, but I had been in this church preaching. And I just preached out my heart, and it was low money and crazy people. And they put me in a hotel with this. It had an air conditioner. It was in the summertime, and it was psychological air because it was. I heard the air conditioner, but it wasn't getting any cooler. <laughs> it was a noise. But was it cool? Psychological air conditioning. And I laid in the bed, and in that moment, the Spirit of God just came. And he said, son, you made me proud tonight. Now listen, it was more than money. It was more than anybody else could ever say. 
You made me proud tonight. And here's the deal. You cannot process the Father's voice through your intellect. And there's a lot of you here. You've been living your Christian life through your intellect. John 19 verse 17 says, And he bearing his cross went to a place called Golgotha, by interpretation, the skull. Your intellect makes a wonderful servant, but a horrible master. Say, my intellect makes a wonderful servant, but a horrible master. Say, my intellect makes a wonderful servant, but a horrible master. And it was called the place of the skull because the greatest resistance in the earth is you playing God by knowing what good and evil is and circumventing the voice of the Father to lead you in your life. You assume I know what's going to happen. That's why when I come into a church, the first thing I look at is the worship. The same way when a doctor comes and he says, I need to take your blood pressure. Your spiritual worship is your spiritual blood pressure. Because if you can't get with the Father, I know there's a lot of work to do in that church. I know there's messages I can't preach because if I preach them, you're going to process them through intellect. You're not going to process them through a relationship. And tonight, God is saying, I want to invest you into a daddy relationship. And let me just say this may, for some of you, seem like a small message when I talk about daddy relationship. But that's why Jesus came. Show us the Father. Of all the names of God in the Bible, his favorite is Father. You know why? Because Father wants a family. Where was the first miracle at? Cana. Why? Because father wants a family. It was a wedding time. He turns the water into wine. Why? Because he wants a family. And there's a lot of you here. You got lots of Bible understanding. You've been watching t Christian TV for years. You've been going to concerts and everything else. But what turns your water or your teaching into wine is a very simple daddy relationship. Do you know that 50% of the Roman Empire was slaves? Yet they changed the world. They didn't change the world through intellect. They changed the world because they had a daddy relationship. And I know that if we get people, the majority of the people in this church at the core, to understand this daddy relationship where you are touched by daddy God, where you respond like a son, not a slave, not a servant, yes. that you're not working your way to be accepted by God, that you're a son. The reason that you serve is because I'm a son. I'm serving because I want to please my father. Yes. Now, why is this so critical? For many of you, you had a bad image of a natural father. You had a bad image of a natural family. And it is inconceivable that someone could see all your flaws and still accept you. It is inconceivable that somebody could see you and not judge you. This society, the North American society, the European society, is the most shaming society. You women, when you see images of women there, they're all sculpted. They have the ideal body, the ideal hair, the ideal teeth. And you look at me like, oh my God, you shame yourself. They show images of the perfect life. Not letting you know that behind that door, there's hell in the house. And the Lord is saying, don't pursue that which is transitory. It's an illusion. But when you understand how to touch daddy God, everything changes. Son is a covenant designation. The son is always in the house. I just so sense that God wants to turn some slaves into sons. 
I sense tonight that God wants to turn some servants into sons and daughters. This church will not survive the next 20 years. You will leave this church. You won't stay a member of this church. You'll be a used-to-be worker in the church. Because it said the servant or the slave doesn't always stay in the house. But the son, son is a covenant designation. The son is always in the house. God will never come up with a system that makes you able to live outside of a relationship with him. That's why it's daily bread. First Corinthians chapter 13, starting in verse 9. For we know in part and we prophesy in part. But when that which is perfect has come, then that which is in part will be taken, done away with. When I was a child, this is Paul speaking, I spoke as a child. I understood as a child. I thought as a child. But when I became a man, I put away childish things. For now we see in a mirror, a glory mirror. But then we're going to see face to face. Now I know in part, but thus then shall I know as I am known. Then he says, but when the perfect has come in verse 10. The word perfect is the Greek word called teleos. Everybody say teleos. The word teleos is what it sounds like, which is telescope. In other words, when the spirit of God drops on you, you have a telescope and you begin to see your future. You begin to see the stage of what I'm going to become. I'm going to go from glory to glory to image to image. And so what God says, you got to take off the little child and put on the next glory. So all of your life is putting on, taking off, putting on, taking off, putting on, taking off. And we got people that are in the same spiritual clothing that they were 20 years ago. They're the same clothing. They're stuck in time. And the Bible says you got to put on the new man. And so what God does is when the Holy Spirit comes, he begins to cause the process of transformation in you from the inside out. So you got to understand, when you get born again, you are a new creature. It'd be like if I had a vessel here and I had pomegranate juice and orange juice. And I pour both of them into one glass and stir it briskly. Do I have pomegranate juice anymore? No. Do I have orange juice anymore? No. Can I separate them anymore? No, it's all one thing. It's a new thing. So when you get born again, you get the spirit of God in your spirit. You're transformed with your human spirit. You're a new creature, but that's not enough. How many understand that when you get a brand new car, many times the dealer puts a full tank of gas in it. How long is that gas going to last you? Till it's empty and I got to get more gas. I don't get a new car. I just get more gas. Many of you, you had an experience eight years ago, seven years ago, was glorious, and now you're just kind of just out of gas, out of spiritual gas. God never designed that we live on that initial experience. We got to continually be filled over and over and over and over. And so Jesus is saying, I'm sending an experience called the Father's promise. Now, there's two kind of people here today. People that have had that experience and God wants to train you to transfer that experience into others. There's other people you've never had it and you need to have your initial time of receiving and be in it and grow in it. And the spirit of God is here today to baptize many of you in the Holy Spirit. The word baptism was not a religious word in the Greek language. It's what we call to die. Because they, when they had different kinds of lamb's wool, it was different color, black, white, gray, 
messed up colors. They would put it all in a vat and they would baptize it and would come out looking just like one color. When you are baptized in the Holy Spirit, he saturates every aspect of your personality so that you come out looking like him. And there are many, many different baptisms. You go back again and again and again. And so that's what this pastor is wanting to emphasize in this church. Luke chapter 24, verse 49, Jesus calls what we're about to do the promise of the Father. Behold, I send the promise of my Father upon you, but tear in the city of Jerusalem until you are endued with power from on high. Somebody say, power, power. from on high. You're going to experience God's power when it comes upon you. Listen to me. Everybody receives different ways emotionally. I've seen some people just are very quiet, but the power comes on them. Other people, they jump and scream, but the power comes on them. It many times depends on your personality. Acts chapter 1, verse 4. And being assembled together with them, he commanded them not to depart from Jerusalem, but wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you have heard from me. Listen to me. The baptism of the Holy Spirit is not an option. It is not an option. Many churches have made it an option, but Jesus said, I command you, do not leave Jerusalem till you receive the promise of the Father. Say, the baptism, the baptism. Of, the Holy Spirit of the Holy Spirit is not an option. And then he says, I will pour out of my spirit. Acts chapter 2, verse 15, down to verse 18. So when they began to receive the Holy Spirit, this is how it looked to the people. They thought they were drunk. For these are not drunk, as you suppose, since it's only the third hour of the day, which is 9 o'clock in the morning. But this is what is spoken by the prophet Joel. And it shall come to pass in the last days, says God, I will pour out of my spirit on all flesh. Somebody shout all flesh. All flesh. Somebody shout all flesh. All flesh. Catholic flesh, Muslim flesh, Hindu flesh, Baptist flesh, sinner flesh, homosexual flesh. He doesn't care. He will visit every flesh. And then it says, your sons and daughters shall prophesy. Your young men shall see visions. Your old men shall dream dreams. And on your men's service and on your maid's service, I will pour out of my spirit in those days and they shall prophesy. So the moment that you get full of the spirit, dreams, visions, prophecy, having a communion with God's spirit, having God speak to you, father to son, father to daughter, it's going to fill you up. Everything changes. Everything changes. And there are some people that say, this has ceased. They're cessationists. They say, this has ceased. Acts chapter 2, verse 38 and 39. Then Peter said to them, repent, and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Somebody say, the gift. Amen. Do you have to work for a gift? Say, receive the gift. Receive the gift. Come on, shout, receive the gift. Receive the gift of the Holy Spirit for the promises to you and your children, to all who are far off, as many as the Lord shall call. That means that this thing that is here tonight, even though you're reading about it in your Bibles that happened 2,000 years ago, the Bible said the same promise. Somebody say the same promise. The same promise. 
He said, it's to you and your children and your children's children, as many as they're far off. So three things. Number one, it comes by promise. How does the gift come? Number two, it's a gift. You don't work for it. Number three, I got to receive it. It's a promise. It's a gift. I received it. It's a promise. It's a gift. I received it. Say these words in a loud voice. Say, Satan, I command every unclean spirit, fear, shame, rejection, condemnation, bitterness, spirit of fornication, adultery, pornography, homosexuality, lesbianism, religious witchcraft, self-hatred, bitterness, every unclean spirit, leave my life now, now, now. I just take a deep breath, deep as you can, and let it out. Take a deep breath, deep as you can, and let it out. Now, the Bible says if you ask him, you will receive the Holy Spirit. You're going to begin to feel something bubbling up at the bottom of your spirit. Some of you are going to get a brand new renewal spirit. It's time to grow. It's time to grow. It's time to grow. It's time to grow again. And when I say now, you're going to take a deep breath. You're going to roll your tongue. You're going to pray by faith. It's going to be a new language. It's an unknown language. Your intellect does not understand that language because it's something that God gave you to expand the borders of your life. He said, I want to do something above and beyond all you can ask or think. All you can ask or think. He's coming right now. He's coming over you right now. It's coming over you right now. He's coming over you right now. It could happen to you too. When I first received the Holy Spirit, it took me 90 days. And I was straining. I was struggling to receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit. You know why? I was trying to receive it through my intellect and not my spirit. I'll never forget it. Sunday morning, I'm shaving to go to this little Bible study. There was a song, a Christian song on the radio in uh, Madrid, Spain. I felt something warm come over me. I began to weep. I began to cry. My face was full of shaving cream. God baptized me while I was shaving. You know why? I had been asking and asking and asking, and he waited till my mind was not engaged to get my spirit. From his spirit to your spirit. Say, from my spirit to his spirit. You see, if God baptized your intellect, his intellect is so big, your little peanut brain couldn't receive it. He just couldn't receive it. But your spirit can receive it all. And then once your spirit gets it, your intellect begins to interpret what you feel on the inside. It's awesome. I want you to close your eyes. And I want you to begin to ask the Holy Spirit to fill you again. Every single one of you, Ask the Holy Spirit, fill me again. Fill me again. Fill me again. Now, the Bible says we're a vessel. A vessel means that it can be filled. It has the capacity to hold something. And so what you have got to understand is that today the Holy Spirit is coming to fill 
you again. I know Christians that are works Christians. They're works Christians. They got filled at a children's camp or a youth camp, but they are trying to work it again. It comes by promise. It's a gift that must be received. See, it comes by promise. It's a gift that must be received. So what I want you to do is act like somebody gave you a muscle relaxer two hours ago and begin to say, Holy Spirit, I receive you right now. I receive you right now. And it's like the water of the Spirit or the oil of the Spirit is coming down right now. Tonight is gentle because we got so many different kind of people. Whatever kind of problem you have, the answer is to be led and filled by the Spirit. You're going to begin to feel something come over your body, touch your hands, touch your head, touch your shoulders. His presence can fill every part of this building. He's going to begin to speak to you and act like a father to a son. Okay, I want you to close your eyes, not because there's anything missing, but I want you to block out everybody else's voice or anything else. I want you to focus on the Holy Spirit and just say these words, say, Jesus, I am a spiritual criminal. I've broken your heart and I've broken your law. I know I am guilty because my own heart tells me I'm guilty. But today I come to your cross for complete and final healing and cleansing. I want you to see the cross where Jesus died. He's hanging on that cross right now. You're coming about 10 feet from the cross. I want you to see yourself in your imagination coming to the cross, laying on your stomach and wrapping your arms around the cross. Now the blood of God who became a man is dripping on you. Every sin, every lie, every confusion, every divorce, every sexual issue, all of it right now, he's healing it right now. He's washing it clean. He's washing it clean. No more condemnation. Jesus, Jesus. I receive you as my only Savior. I believe you're paying for my sins. When you died on the cross, you took my place. Be my Savior. And when I count to three, a full-grown Jesus is going to walk in your body. You're going to begin to feel it. One. Two, three, he's stepping in your body right now. He's stepping in your body right now. No more doubt, no more fear, no more doubt, no more fear. He's standing up, he's putting his feet in your feet, his hands in your hands, his legs in your legs, his eyes in your eyes. Now, there's an angel writing your name in the book of life. No more fear, no more doubt. You cannot earn your salvation. It's a gift, you receive it. Today, you're saved. Today you're saved. What's your name? Patricia. Patricia. Today your name is in the book of life. Your name is in the book of life. No more fear. He's stepping in your body right now. Now the Holy Spirit's falling on you. You're beginning to feel that intimacy, that closeness. Now we're going to do four things. They're mechanical. They're not spiritual. Number one, I'm going to make a command Receive the Holy Spirit, you're going to take a deep breath. Why? You can't pray without breathing. Number two, 
You're going to roll your tongue. Why? He's not going to roll your tongue. You're going to move your own tongue, and he's going to use that tongue. Number three, give God your emotions. Why? Because when the Holy Spirit comes, he brings his emotions. Number four, you're not talking to anybody else in this building or on earth. You're talking directly to Jesus. You're going to take a deep breath, roll your tongue. You're going to pray by faith, not by emotions. It's going to come over your whole body. Don't think about it. That's your intellect. Let it come up out of your spirit. Take a deep breath. Roll your tongue and pray by faith. If you were sincere when you prayed that prayer, your name is in the book of life. There's nothing between you and the Holy Spirit now. There's nothing, nothing between you and the Holy Spirit right now. When I say receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit, you're going to take a deep breath, roll your tongue and pray by faith. You're not going to pray by intellect. You're going to pray by faith. It's just going to roll up out of you. Babies can't make a mistake. Take a deep breath. Roll your tongue right now. Receive the baptism of the Holy Ghost. Do it right now. Just relax. Take a deep breath. Roll your tongue and pray by faith right now. Blurt it out. Blurt it out. There you go. One, two, three. Our prayer and heart's desire is that today's message has caused you to see Jesus more clearly, causing you to become a better disciple, walking in both wisdom and power in your generation. For further information about Kevin's ministry, books, tapes, or to have him come to your church or conference, call or write Key Ministries, Post Office Box 10357, Pensacola, Florida, 32524, or on the web at com. You can call our offices at 850-475-8877. Our prayer is that the Holy Spirit will water this word and cause it to grow in your life.